Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome. How's it going? This is Football Social Daily, the Daily Premier League podcast, keeping you on top of everything from the top flight of English football, which is absolutely bat crazy at the moment. Premier League is drunk. On today's pod, we're going to be looking at the continuous and contentious issue of VAR with a whole load of match-changing calls from this weekend's Premier League games affecting, most of all, Marley's beloved Newcastle and my not-so-happy hammers. Is it time to pull the plug on the VAR experiment? We're also going to look back at two stories that just won't go away from the last few seasons. One, the future of Harry Kane. Once again, he's being linked away with a move from Spurs and the Glazers, who are being linked away with a move from English football. But can either story be believed? Casting their expert eyes over those stories, I'm joined by the aforementioned Marley Anderson. How are you doing, Marley? Good morning, how are you? I'm very good, Tar. And Niall McCorn as well. You right, Niall? I'm alright, thanks guys, yeah. Very good. Let's start with a traditional Monday moan with Get In The Sea. We're going to whinge about something from the weekend, get something off our chest. Any volunteers to go first today? Marley, Niall's Niall's pointing at Marley, volunteering (laughs) him for him. Alright, I'll I'll start. Um, Look, I'm... (laughs) <laughs> Forewarning, right? It, we're we're going to spend the whole podcast talking about VAR. We just are. Because I'm pretty sure you two aren't going to do anything different for your getting the C's either. But I think with like, let, I'm going to start from like a an alternate angle of VAR. Because you can complain about whether it's... Um, That's the problem with VAR. Implemented. There's too many alternate angles well, that you use the rules. <laughs> like you can prove anything <laughs> with the alternate angles. Well, well, this this weekend gave me something from VAR that I've not experienced before, which is, you know, I went up to St. James's at the weekend. I was sat in the uh, the east corner underneath, uh, like at the bottom of the Lees' end in the corner. Um, and the problem with sitting there is there's only one big screen at St. James's Park and it's above me and it's above and behind me. So it's physically impossible for me to see it. So when um, Joe Willock scores the goal, perfectly legitimate goal, you know, massive cheers go up and, I've not yet been to a game, I've been lucky enough to not be experienced until Saturday, experience the game where something gets robbed of you in real time. You don't, the anger is a new level. The frustration is something that you, you just don't get um, with either no VAR or clear VAR. You, you, you know, nobody knows what's happening. You can't get any signal in the ground to even look at replays on on Twitter and, and you know, like little sites and Facebook and what have you. So... It's just really, really frustrating. Um, and because the crowd are kicking off and stuff and everyone's going, oh, for God's sake, and booing and all sorts of stuff, you can barely even hear the uh, the PA. Is there an element of fun in that, though? The no. fact that you're in on the crowd? Because oh, there's something... The, the reason people get angry at football and like a shout at the referee and mm. shout at decisions is because in some part they're enjoying that anger, right? Yeah, well, it, yeah. The dynamic is, is different in it at, at a live game. You know, I wouldn't be screaming at the TV where if if I was watching it on TV but you know well, I was screaming it off in uh, from the corner hoping the lineswoman could could hear me <laughs> um but you know it's it's just something that I, I haven't experienced before um and now I have and I hate it <laughs> <laughs> so what was it that you hated the the, the confusion the, con- the fact okay. that as well uh, the thing is when you're the at a live disregard game, for the match going fan yeah it's okay. been like that for so, two years mm. and yeah and 
what I hated is like, because obviously you only get one one look at things in real life, don't you? So you, you get to see it once. And because it came from a crowded corner, you know, I seen it, but I wasn't focusing on the specific clash of Willock and I couldn't see the push from Mitchell. Um, and I didn't even see that it was Mitchell scoring on goal. I thought Willock actually bundled it in and, and they were checking for an arm or something. I thought, you know, because the bodies just flew in there, it bounced off something. I thought maybe it's like hit Willock's arm as he gets pushed or something. But sure. it wasn't until match of the day that night, well, Twitter after I got in the car park, that I seen it and then I was fuming all over again because I was sat in frigging traffic trying to get out of Newcastle um, and I watched it and you know you could hear the fr- frustration in the commentators both the like the Radio Newcastle ones and the, the foreign feeds ones of the, the, the lads you get on um, Match of the Day doing their commentaries and stuff like that it's it was frustrating like three times over and then you heard, you heard Shearer on Match of the Day and he's kicking off about it trying to tear the ref a new one mm. and I mean, the ref was shocking all all game. He had an absolute howler, but that that's football. That is live football. I suppose in in some narcissistic way, we love it because we keep going back. You know, exactly. So, it's the highs and the lows, and the yeah. highs would be nothing without the lows. We'll leave that there because we are going to come back to VAR in a little bit because there were plenty of farcical decisions to look back on across the weekend. The incident at Newcastle being one of those decisions. But first, Niall, what are you going to put in the sea? Do you know what? I've, I've tried to think about this and I really don't know. I mean, it, it, Marley's right. It's kind of has been dominated by VAR and I won't mention it too much because I know we are going to come on to it in a sec. But, you know, it's a shame, isn't it? That the whole sort of clouding of your thinking about what's happened at the weekend, it's that it's so dominated by VAR. There's not really anything else to get annoyed about. Do you remember before VAR, people were saying, what are we going to, we're not going to be able to talk about the big decisions being got wrong on a Monday because VAR is going to sort it all out. We won't be able to have these discussions. But all it anymore. is is just another opinion, isn't it? Like, yeah. I was at Old Trafford yesterday for the Manchester United Arsenal game and there was a goal scored by Martinelli and there was suspicions of a foul from Erdegaard on Christian Eriksen in the build up. And VAR checked it and then sent referee Paul Tierney over to the monitor to have a look and he was there for three or four minutes. What's the point of having the VAR official if they're just going to send the referee over to I mean, why couldn't he have just not made the decision in the game? Mm. I mean, I mean I've mean, i said yeah. from day one that I'm not an advocate of VAR. I'm still not. I just, I just don't like it. I don't get it. I just, I get what, what what's on the line. People's jobs are on the line. Trophies are on the line. Football was not ever meant to be this worth this much money to people. No. You know, it was never meant to be the case of people's livelihoods are on the line. You know, it wasn't it wasn't meant to ever be like that. And it is now, and I suppose you have to kind of ride with the times, but it's a shame, isn't it, that everyone gets so embroiled about how important these things are. And I've seen a statement from the EFL today saying that goal line technology failed in yesterday's game in between Huddersfield game, yeah. and Blackpool and they've apologized for it and they say they're immensely frustrated. These things happen. You know, technology does break down sometimes. Aston Villa are in the league because of that. <sighs> Remember the game against Bournemouth like... where the goalie took it in his own net? But we, I mean, we did say, you're right, Jim, we did say, didn't we? We were like, oh, we, we're worried that we're not going to be able to have things to talk about. because. <laughs> we, but actually, it's probably just the same as it was. It's mm. just we're now blaming technology so. instead of referees. If not yeah. more so, because suddenly the thing that has been brought in to reduce those discussions and reduce the errors seems to be throwing up it more g- errors. It goes back to the same conversation, though. The whole point of goal line technology when it works is that there is a device in place a system in place technology there to determine whether the ball which is object A is over the line which is object B and it either is or it isn't similar with offside we're getting down to the black and white nature of it but for a foul 
it's always been and it's in the laws of the game and it always has been since football was invented the referee's decision it's at the referee's discretion and I've said this so many times you've got Michael Oliver who's what I don't know probably one of the younger referees around You've got Jared Gillett, who's Australian, who's just come into the league this season. He's after better, He's better than most of them, Jared Gillett. But my point, I suppose, is what Jared Gillett thinks is a foul from growing up in Australia and <laughs> refereeing the A-League is not yeah. the same as what Michael Oliver or Lee Mason or Paul Tierney thinks is a foul from where they've grown up in separate parts of the country. But it should yeah. be, that's the that's the that's then the job of the PGMLOL, to, uh, whatever the acronym is. You <laughs> 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 nearly got it to be fair, <laughs> it's, it's not the worst thing you've ever gone for. <laughs> yeah. It's up to them to then go this is the criteria, this is the rule and to make sure referees are trained. But we are going to come back to VAR, yeah. so I'm going to yeah. put that in there. I'm going to throw something final in the sea to wrap up this. I'm going to get a bit meta with my get in the sea today because I'm going to Good. have a moan about someone having a moan. And I want to talk about the most out-of-touch man in football that is Richard Keyes. Um, he I hate seems that man. To, yeah, yeah, increasingly so as well. And he's got a bit of an agenda about Mikel Arteta at the moment. And nothing about Mikel Arteta's post-match comments which were a little bit deluded at the weekend or Mm. to do with his tactics or the way he's reshaping Arsenal he's got a bit of an agenda about the fact he is quite often fractionally outside his technical area during (laughs) games (laughs) he's posted a couple of messages on his social media Richard Keyes the one I saw at the weekend was why is Arteta allowed to spend the game on the touchline again today in front of the fourth official as well does he have special dispensation (laughs) It's like he's observed some kind of weird football conspiracy that he thinks no one else has spotted. But I think he's just a man who needs to get some perspective. There's a cost of living crisis, there's a war in Ukraine, there's raising energy bills. And he's worried about a man standing 12 inches outside of where he should be standing. You're absolutely right. With the state of the way the world is at the moment, and this is a geezer, by the way, who lives in Qatar, so he doesn't really need to worry about the financial implications of the cost of living crisis. People spend a lot of money to go to football. Just let them enjoy wins and let them despair over defeats. And, mm. you know, like the, last week, was he having a go at Arsenal fans for celebrating a win over Fulham? Yeah. Like, come on. But the other yeah. problem is it's a, it's a misunderstanding. I and mean, this is a man who's supposed to be able to give an informed opinion on football. The fact that a manager is just outside his technical area is a misunderstanding of what the technical area rule is there for. It's not to stop yeah. someone standing a little bit close to the pitch. It's to stop them running up and down the touchline or getting in the face of the opposition bench and causing problems there so it's like we don't need goal line technology for managers standing just outside their technical areas the referee doesn't need a little watch that vibrates the second Mikel Arteta's brogues get on the white line or whatever yeah, it is like if one of them did a Jose Mourinho one on, on uh, Oli Mers in soccer age yeah. and he ran on and, <laughs> yeah. and physically tackled him fine you've got a point there Richard Yeah, you hairy handed little weirdo <laughs> so there we go um, shut up Richard Keyes I think it's a thing against Arsenal fans though. He, knows, he knows Arsenal fans are they they've got a a reputation and and probably rightly so for being very vocal on social media and I think he he realizes that by winding because uh, it, it it seems to be a thing against Arsenal like he tweeted something on the day after the window shut like at last at last the window has slammed shut I felt for Arsenal fans nothing to celebrate on deadline day like it's such a, it's such a weak effort at provoking mm. something and. It doesn't it's even make sense because Arsenal would run five out of Arsenal five and top, top of the, the league. league. Yeah. Why would they it's need to sign someone? It's relevant, isn't it, I guess, is, is what his, whether it's a conscious thing or an unconscious thing from his yeah. point of view, he wants to stay relevant. And this is triggered, actually, getting the sea for me, which I saw this morning, which I'm going to shout out and throw in the sea. And it's to do with Arsenal and it's to do with Ty from Arsenal Fan TV. Yeah. You know, after the game yesterday, I mean, not everyone has to agree with what Ty says. 
And I understand why some people don't like what he says on Arsenal fan TV. But he was getting harangued and harassed by some United fans after the game yesterday. Leave the geezer alone. Everyone knows that United have won and Arsenal have lost. Okay, whatever. He is a platform and you need to understand that when you have a platform, you're going to get probably attention and unwanted attention. I think that kind of comes with the territory. But, you know, the fact that he's just getting lambasted and harassed by people I don't think that's a that's a pleasant thing really just you can give the geezer a bit of bit of a heckle and say oh in lucky tie you've lost today but don't get up, up yeah. close and in his face that's that's not there's cool. lines and there? yeah absolutely there's yeah. lines right well we clearly all want to get stuck into the VAR debate because that's what we've accidentally talked about for the last 10 minutes so we'll get into <laughs> it properly next we'll talk about the vast of the Premier League video technology next Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. A weekend of VAR-based errors in the Premier League have left many fans fuming. Countless VAR calls across the weekend. Some of them being criticised by fans for showing corruption in the league and a favouritism towards the top four. We're going to talk for them now on Football Social Daily, especially the two calls made that have caused the most anger uh, for Chelsea against West Ham and for against Newcastle versus Crystal Palace. Yep. Wasn't it? <laughs> yep. Confused myself there a little <laughs> bit. These are so many. I think I got through there in the end, though. So the first bit, I <laughs> guess. Styles it out. <laughs> yeah, no one spotted it. No one spotted it. So the first bit, I guess, I will touch, touch on it there. I've seen, particularly from West Ham fans, and allegations about the Premier League and VAR being corrupt because of the ruling out of the 90th minute equaliser from Maxwell Cornet against Chelsea. Would again made the game 2-2. It was called out for a foul by Jared Bowen on the Chelsea goalkeeper Mendy and the suggestion was oh this is favouritism towards the top six. It's a corrupt league. It is just wants to maintain the status quo. Is there any truth in that kind of stuff, Niall? Is there any bias towards Manchester United and Manchester City and Liverpool and Chelsea, even if it's an unconscious bias? Oh, tough question. Um, I don't think, first of all, that the referees are corrupt. I just think that they were absolutely sh- at the weekend and I think that that happens sometimes there's I don't a, think there's a fine line sometimes isn't yeah there? <laughs> I mean it's pretty it's pretty close to being um, crossed by the sounds of it from the weekend the amount of incidents you've read out but that being said when you have 70,000 people of Manchester United persuasion at Old Trafford shouting at you mm. when you have 60,000 at the Emirates 60,000 at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium 50,000 at City's ground you know you're looking at naturally that's going to have more of an impact than 11,000 but Bournemouth <laughs> you know it's probably going to sway yeah. you a little bit more and it's up to the referees to kind of be you know resilient to that I just think that like you say it's unconscious bias I'm not suggesting that these big clubs get more decisions I don't know if there's any data to back that up but what I do know for a fact is that Manchester United have had more yellow cards this season than any other Premier League club so if you want to talk about decisions going one way in the favour of the big clubs you could then counter that by saying well a lot of United players have been booked mm. and you know there's your counter argument so yeah maybe unconscious bias is, is the way to say it and I think that crowds do influence referees and I don't think you can get away from that I think it's always been the case in football and always will be but in terms of referees being corrupt like what you said about the West Ham fans were hinting at I don't think that's fair 
Um, I think having spoken to referees in the past, albeit not ones at the elite level, but ones in the lower leagues, I think it's important to suggest that the last thing the referee wants is to be the centre of attention. If the referee is not in the news, that is good. Mm. That is exactly what they want. That's a result for them. If the referee is being talked about after the game, they've absolutely not done what they intended to do. Referees do not want to be involved in any way, shape or form. I do just think, though, with VAR, you then magnify the focus on on the officials a little bit more with the the way things are in football now. So let's get it straight, though. That Chelsea decision to disallow the Cornet goal is a a shocker. It's, it, it's a it's a disgraceful decision. Mm. Partly, um, it's a stinker. It's by awful. Mendy, I think. I think Mendy's oh, yeah. reaction to being touched by. I don't Jared think it Bowen's matters if, if Jared Bowen doesn't kick him. Mendy's not saving that. No, he's yeah, going straight the, in the top. The, bin. He's spilled the, it six the spill away comes way before like the kick. You know, as soon as it leaves his hands, he goes, "Ah, oh, damn!" And then here comes a, a boot, and he goes, "Ah, my yeah. shoulder, blah blah." And he thinks, "Oh, hopefully I'll get away with this." And and he does. It's a shocking decision. A I mean, that, that, I mean, the, the point is, I don't think the referees are corrupt. I just think they've had a really dodgy weekend. And I seem to remember a couple of seasons ago when VAR first came in, it started well for the first few weeks. It went smoothly. Mm. And then there was one weekend very similar to what mm. we're discussing now, where it seemed like all the decisions there got wrong. And I seem to remember Alan Shearer on Match of the Day saying they need to sort it out because it isn't good enough. And it was almost like deja vu last night. It feels like once a season yeah. we get a weekend where VAR is just an absolute shambles and the referees lose the plot. And I think part of it as well, because the referees watch all the games, I think that that builds up through a weekend. I think probably going into yesterday's matches, Brighton against Leicester, yeah, and Arsenal against Manchester United, I bet the referees were thinking, I hope we don't get any VAR today yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that'll be what they would have they would have yeah. thought going into the game and it makes it even more pressurized the game had a guy who had a, a shoelace offside to that robbed McAllister of that absolute ripper against yeah. Leicester and yeah, yeah. And so we're back to square one aren't we so so we crazy. had the West Ham decision yeah against Chelsea we got that wrong we've talked about Newcastle and Palace and mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we've agreed that they got that one wrong the other I was trying to look back at what the contentious VAR calls were from the weekend. The other one was probably in the Leeds-Brentford game, which saw Jesse Marsh sent off in the end. He got oh, two yellow cards yeah. for his fury about two penalty calls that went against Leeds. Yeah. Did they get that one wrong as well? 100%. That was a clear penalty on Sinistera. The, the guy gets all... He's practically having him as a backpack. Like, I, <laughs> I, you know, I was watching it and I, you, know, you see it in real time and you think, that's a penalty. And then... Because I because I was out all day, you know, I didn't see much of the games. So I was sort of waiting for match of the day, like old school style. You know, you mm. wait for match of the day to come on before you watch it for the first time. And you know, I thought that, that looks like a penalty. Um, they must have given it, and Leeds must have missed it because I didn't see it in the get in the. I wasn't keeping track of it in in real time. And then I seen you know, Jesse Marsh kicking off, and I thought that's kind of funny because there's just something about Americans getting angry. It just makes me laugh because um, he's fl- he's flying around like a, you know telling everybody who listened that he's got that wrong and stuff. And I was like, that's kind of funny because surely he gets a penalty here. I just couldn't believe that it wasn't a penalty. And then, you know, you see the replays and it only gets worse. I mean, then the fact that he gets sent off and then to make it even worse, the the PGMOL will probably say, we got that one wrong, sorry. And it's like, well, are you going to rescind his red card? I'm not sure. They probably won't. Like Richarlison at the weekend, he got booked taking his shirt off for a disallowed goal but the I don't think the yellow card got rescinded so 
there's just so many holes. Mm. I just don't understand it all the time. And I did feel sorry for Jesse Marsh because, you know, at, at that point the game is still in the balance. They, you know, in the, in, in the end they go on to lose five two, and it's you know it's damaging. So I feel sorry <laughs> for him. He's he's got a, he's got a point there. Do you know what VAR's like? VAR's like when you get pulled over by police because they suspect you for something. Let's just say drink driving. You do a breathalyzer and you're clear. And the copper goes, oh, let me just check your tyres, mate. Oh, let me just check under your car. Let me just check your number plate's legal. And it's just like, they're just trying to find any reason to give you a ticket. No, it kind of feels like that, really. It's a bit worse than that, because it's like the policeman putting you away for five years and then coming out afterwards saying it's wrong. So you get to go free. But you've still spent the five years in prison because Newcastle aren't going to get an extra two points from their game West Ham yep. aren't going to get the point from their game the whole idea of the PGMOL yep. got it right that time coming out and saying oh yeah we got it wrong it doesn't matter because already the fans mm. and the clubs have been unfairly punished there's and nothing you can also, do from that point after games if you talk about the referees you get fined yeah. don't you and I heard a report saying that David Moyes actually went and gave the referee both barrels. Yeah. Like, yeah. seriously gave it to Good. him. Well, if you're going to get but, a fine, get a fine. You know, yeah. go mm. for it. Mm. I'm surprised David Moyes didn't threaten to slap anyone like he usually does. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he probably did. We just uh, we haven't heard about it yet. But I didn't I didn't know we were allowed to talk about your prison time on the podcast, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, there was one example of VAR actually being got right this weekend though you mentioned Michael Oliver earlier he was told to look and go look he was told to go and look at the pitch side monitors in Forest game against Bournemouth spent five minutes looking over and over the penalty appeal before actually sticking to his guns and going you are I think I got it right in the first instance so we know it can be got right we know it can work yeah and it was the right decision as well you know the I think this is where the grey area comes in isn't it you know the um the guy practically saved the ball, but the VAR went, it was really close, Michael. You might want to have a look at that. Like, I think it was too close to be um, to be penalised. But Oliver's went, OK, I'll have a look at it from your opinion. Um, I'll take into account the fact that you think it was too close. And he's looked at it and he's gone, yeah, but his, his hands are way out to the side. Like, I'm, I'm usually in favour of the guy being too close to do anything about it, but... When you slide in like that and your arms go to the side, if it hits your hand, you, you, mm. you're dead. That's that's it. It's going against you every time, and so it should. But you know, it was fair play to Oliver to say, "Well, no, I'm not. I'm not taking that from from you." Because one thing we we don't like about VAR is every time someone goes to a computer to the to the screen, we know what the decision's going to be. The decision's going to be it gets ruled out. Yeah, because putting doubt in their minds. Yeah, because it, there's a guy in a in a truck eating a pasty going oh well I think that's a foul Michael or I feel I think that's too close Michael and he goes no isn't actually I'm the ref I'm one of the best in the country uh, probably well he's clearly the best in the country I think mm. he's on the elite list he does Champions League games and stuff like that so you know he's going to back himself and so he should in that situation but other other referees should maybe do that as well because Michael Salisbury at Crystal Palace Newcastle at the weekend was influenced by that decision and then you know, didn't even get shown the right angles to see um, Tyreek Mitchell's push on Joe Willock because Willock's going to head the ball in the net. Um, the only reason he doesn't cause he, is because he gets pushed. And because he gets pushed, he hits Gaeta. And also because he gets pushed, Mitchell doesn't see the ball coming because he's concentrating on pushing Willock out the way and then it hits him and goes in the net. So there's clues there. you just got to back yourself. And because he's a seven-game novice, I know he's got to mm-hmm. learn sometime. And unfortunately, he's just used my club as... 
as uh, as, a, as a learning stick, and we're probably going to not forgive him for it for quite a while. <laughs> What's a learning stick? Don't know. Like a learning curve, like a. It's a learning stick. It's a new I don't phrase. Know. It's a new thing. Where do we go from here? So I think we can now safely say that get rid of it. VAR's problems aren't teething problems anymore. It's been around long enough for any teething problems to be resolved. Yet there are still issues with it. Do we need new guidance? Does the experiment need to be scrapping? Is it a case of going look? This is supposed to be for clear and obvious errors. Let's just use it for clear and obvious errors, like you said earlier, Nile of referees are being pressured when they go over to the screen and they're watching replays and they've got 50,000 fans on their yeah. back. Do we need to take referees to take the decision away from them? I it's don't know, not just it? that though, is it? It's the pressure of what's all come before. Mm-hmm. The whole weekend of shocking decisions <clears throat> applies more pressure to the final matches of the weekend yesterday because there's extra pressure to get them right because <laughs> their colleagues have made a stinker yeah. in the previous matches and I th- I don't think that helps. You say experiment, it's not an experiment, it's here to stay and every time the Premier League, the FA, the EFL, all of these stakeholders in the game say, we're going to try something out, out this season. It doesn't mean we're going to try something out. It means we're doing this. That's it, basically. You're just going to have to accept it. Yeah. Because like they did with the EFL trophy when they started putting Premier League and Championship under 21 teams in the competition, the Football League clubs who were involved in that were furious about it. Mm. And the EFL said, oh, don't worry. It's only a, a, only a thing for a season. We'll see how it goes. What a load of rubbish that was. They're just basically saying that as a way to go, we're doing this and there's not nothing you can do about it. No, they're still, they they're, no, they're still in the competition. Right. And that, this was four years ago. Yeah. VAR was at the World Cup four years ago, over four years ago, in Russia in 2018. There was not an English referee because one, we didn't have VAR and two, our referees are not good enough. I mean, that that's clear. And what have we learned in four years? You know, you say it's a failed experiment. It just should never have come in in the first place. It's nothing has changed. Like we said at the top of the show, nothing has changed. Mm. You know, VAR is probably actually, I say nothing has changed. They probably do get more decisions right on the whole, but has it damaged the game in a way which makes it less enjoyable? I hate VAR. I hate it. Mm. There's not, nothing else to say. It's a bit of a shambles at the moment. Instantly, Michael Oliver and Anthony Taylor have their flights booked for Qatar. They will be the two English representatives out in the sunshine this winter, which isn't that far away, about 60 days to go until the World Cup kicks off, which is terrifying. <laughs> this is Football Social Daily. We'll be back in a moment to look back at two stories that just won't go away. One, the ownership of Manchester United and what's happening there with the Glazers. And two, the future of Harry Kane. We'll talk about it next on the podcast. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. Two stories that have been discussed many times before, but keep on coming back into the papers again and again and again. One, the future of Manchester United and the ownership there. Could the Glazers be about to sell up and move on? And two, the future of Harry Kane. And that's where we're going to start. Build in Germany are reporting that Harry Kane has been told to reject any new contract offers from Tottenham in favour of a potential move to Bayern Munich next summer. First off, Niall, were you surprised that Harry Kane wasn't linked with any moves away this summer? Because normally he is on the back pages of every other paper in terms of going somewhere. Normally it's City. Obviously City bought Haaland in, so Kane was surplus to requirements. But Mm. it was a bit quiet for Harry in terms of transfer rumours this year. 
Yeah, to be fair, I think he was linked with Bayern Munich this summer, actually. Okay. Maybe not towards the end of the window. Um, because imagine if Harry Kane had left, Antonio Conte would have absolutely burned Tottenham Stadium to the ground, <laughs> wouldn't he? He would have been throwing Molotovs. He would have been doing all sorts of stuff. That cheese room would have been destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, Harry Kane's obviously very important to Tottenham. I think that that failed move to Manchester City last season has really kind of put things into perspective for him. And I think that that has made his mind up to try and overtake Alan Shearer as the Premier League's all-time scorer. Um, what's he got? 70 Come on, odd, Bayern. 70-odd goals to go, something like that. Mm. Uh, he's a he's a really good player. And I know a lot of people say that, you know, he, he's... Um, some Actually, no, I've seen some people say that he's overrated and he's not one of the best strikers. He's just rubbish. He's a top player. <laughs> he's a very good striker. Um, and Tottenham need him. And... You know, I guess the question is, can Tottenham achieve something this season? They still haven't lost a game in the Premier League. They're you know, scrapping it out a little bit because they've not been the most consistent in their performances. They're working but, hard for it, aren't they? Yeah, the minute, yeah. They're still in all the cups, though. <laughs> I know I know. they've what, played zero games in the Carabao <laughs> and zero games in the FA Cup and zero games in the Champions League at this point. But, um, you know, Conte is there to win something for Tottenham, as Mourinho was, got them to a, a League Cup final and they sacked him and then he left and they didn't win that final, obviously. Um, so I just wonder what, what the situation will be if Tottenham don't win something. Will Kane leave uh, to go to Bayern Munich? Um, I'm not sure, really. I'm not sure because let's say he stays at Tottenham for another couple of years, which I think is at least what he's got left on his contract and then goes to Bayern Munich. Bayern have just got rid of Lewandowski, who's mm. 33. So would a he's twenty nine now, Harry Kane, and I think he turns thirty next summer. So, you know, let's say would a thirty one, thirty two year old Harry Kane be of any interest to Bayern in a couple of years' time, seeing as they've just got rid of Lewandowski for pretty much nothing for the same price. So I don't know. They can just unsettle the the second best striker in in the Bundesliga, can't they? And just go and take him. So probably have have that Sesco. He'll do a season. Sesco, yeah. He'll do Mm -hmm. a season at uh, at uh, like is it Leipzig he's yeah, going to he and has, then yeah. he might do a season there and Bayern will go right we'll have him the season after like like they do with everyone but yeah it's, uh, I hope he goes because uh, I don't want Shearer's record to go but well, in terms of that record how much of a motivating factor do you think that is big. for Harry Kane do you think he really cares really big so he's on really big. 188 for goals for a guy who's so won he's, he's won no trophies that's it, his that's he's, his he's ultimate he's trophy. just gone above Andrew Cole in the record scorers ah. list he's only about I think 20 behind Wayne Rooney. He needs 72 goals to catch up with, with Alan Shearer. Yeah. Say he's got, let's say he plays till he's 33 at the top level. That's yeah. probably conservative. That's 18 goals a season that he needs to catch Alan Shearer. Which it's is not, pretty much what he's got in the last two seasons, isn't it? But it's well? not a foregone conclusion, is it? And no. would you stay at your club? Would you stay at Spurs, sacrifice going to Bayern Munich and winning the Bundesliga, for example, for potentially... Yes, getting the all-time Premier League goal scorers. I'd hundred percent stay if I was him because winning a Bundesliga with Bayern Munich is not. It's it's not hard, is it? Yeah, it's a like league, it's like beating cup. your little brother who's four at Scrabble because <laughs> he can't spell and he keeps writing down like Spurver and it's like, <laughs> mate, that's not a word. You'd a div. League Cup or FA Cup with Spurs would mean more to Kane, wouldn't it? Anything with Spurs, yeah, anything. Yeah. Anything and Conte's there. Everything's good. They've spent money. They've got a mint stadium. They're in the Champions League. Great manager. Great squad. Everything's there for success. Whether they need, whether mm. they get it or not, is another thing. However, if he got the put Premier League all-time top scorer, 
record. That is huge. That's bigger than any trophy, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm biased and my guys got got the record. Um, but I'd argue the Premier but League. It's so is, hard to do. Yeah. So hard to do. It's harder now, isn't it? Yeah. Than ever. You know, no, that doesn't. Premier League goals is staggering. Yeah, and that mm. doesn't include that, the thirty odd he scored in Division One before it became the Premier League. So yeah. you know that that Shearer will always have that, but it is so much harder. I think now, to, no disrespect to Shearer, the game's more professional. Yeah, the game's much more intense and more difficult to score goals now than than it ever was. Um, that doesn't disrespect Shearer's achievement, which is still remarkable. I just think it's a lot harder to do it. And um, Kane to put out the numbers he has put out has been incredible. And I think if you rewind to last summer. Tottenham had lost a cup final. They weren't in the Champions League. They had a manager in Nuno Espirito Santo who wasn't cut out for the job. He had just reached a Euro final, Harry Kane, with England. And they had lost it. And it felt like, in terms of where Tottenham were going as a club, it wasn't really going in the right direction. And and naturally, this move to Manchester City became attractive. It fell through because of whatever reasons it fell through. But now Tottenham are on the up again. They've got a top manager. They've signed some really good players. They're back in the Champions League. Mm. And in a year, things have changed so much for Harry Kane. And now staying at Tottenham looks like the best decision he could have made. You know, despite the fact, obviously, Haaland is at Manchester City now and scoring hat-tricks after hat-tricks. But I still think that the difference of 12, 14 months from what we saw last summer, where the landscape was different for Kane and his future, to now, I think it looks like the best decision to stay at Tottenham. I suppose Tottenham now have 12 months to prove that that decision is right and that he is at a club where he can win trophies and fulfil his footballing dreams. Mm. It's all up to Conte. Let's talk about that other story, rumour, in the paper concerning Manchester United. Well, it's not even a rumour, this one, I don't think. It's been broken by Mike Keegan at the Mail. And it says, Manchester United have slapped a £3.75 billion price tag on the club. That's the Glazers have slapped that on the club. That's their exit fee, basically. If someone wants to buy Manchester United, they need to pay £3.75 billion and the Glazers will go like, see you later, thanks a lot, cheers for the money, here's your football club. And the suggestion is that it could tempt Dubai into making a bid for the football club. £3.75 billion. Dubai as a country. Well, yeah, because it's the principality, isn't it? So yeah. it is, it's kind of in a similar situation to Man City in that it's a country buying a football club. Right? Yeah. Well, like well, Abu Dhabi, it's UAE, isn't it? Yeah. An Abu yeah. Dhabi group. Yeah. So £3.75 billion pounds is PSG, the price tag. It? Is it a fair valuation, Niall? What did Chelsea sell for? Three. Four, three. Yeah, slightly more than Chelsea. I'd say it is. Why? What, do, you, do you think it should be more? I think it should be more. Ah, oh, okay. I imagine Manchester United fans won't want it to be more. Three point seven five billion is an eye-watering amount of money. I think United's actually worth a little bit more than that. And Still th- the biggest club in the world, aren't they? Yeah, reputation-wise, mm. I think. I think biggest English club. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because we don't really see the pull of Real Madrid or Barcelona in, in different countries, do we? We don't. But we know Asia and stuff like that is dominated by Man United. It, it's those um, three, isn't it? It's Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United. Yeah, and then you've got probably a level below. The likes of Liverpool, Arsenal, PSG, and PSG. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, I think three point seven five billion reflects the problems and the work that needs to be done because there's still work to do in the the, the uh, Old Trafford. You know, it's it's aged, it's dated. Um, it needs work. There's leaks in the roof. There's you know random little things popping up everywhere that needs done. But 
if everything was fine at Man United and they had, you know, the, a, a league challenging uh, squad and a manager, obviously they've got a you know, manager with a long term view and stuff like that, um, I think they'd probably be worth the asking price. Well, the, number one, they wouldn't be for sale if everything was fine, but the asking price would probably be f- over 5 billion, like up towards 10. Like if you were, if you had Man United's 99 squad now, if they were at that level of dominance in the world, what would they be worth now? You'd probably say 10 billion, mm. easy, because they're dominant and they're the best team in the world, undoubtedly. But now they've got the pedestal, they're off the pedestal sort of thing, so they have to work to get back on it. They have to knock Man City off the perch first and foremost. Then they have to, you know, overtake Liverpool in terms of league titles again, probably. Uh, and then they've got to, you know, crack on and, and get further in Europe every year. So... There's work to be done. I think that that is reflected by 3.75 billion, and I think investors that can that can afford that much are gonna say, "Look, is it ever gonna be lower? Mm. Because you buy low and you sell high. You know, it's basic basic stuff in it. You know, we're what I mean? getting it's, to the point here though, where football clubs are worth so much that there are no other investors other than countries. Countries, yeah, yeah. That's literally. I mean. It is. It's a sad thing as well. Well, that's crazy. When I saw that price tag, I was like, my my mind was thinking, is it a come and get me? But I was thinking, is it also potentially a look, put up or shut up? So Jim Ratcliffe's been linked with a move from Manchester United. His Mm. fortune is just under 12 billion quid. Britain's richest man. This is a third of his fortune. That's a lot, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So is it kind of like a look, if you're not going to come and put the money up, yeah. then shut up and do one because it's our football club unless you've got almost four billion quid to spend. Yeah. Well, every, everyone's got a price, haven't they? You know, everybody, especially businessmen, Christ, they've got no real pull, uh, no real sort of emotion attached, especially the Glazers. They sent a business opportunity 20 odd years ago whenever they overtook Man United. I forget what year it was now, but, um, you know, they'd seen a business opportunity. They'd seen Man United at their... Um, in a good position, but they they seen a a nice little steady cash cow, and that's that's what Man United is to them. You know, they they take the dividends out every year. Um, the club spends what it makes or whatever, and they don't have to invest their personal wealth, and they can saddle all their debt onto it as well. And that's that is because Man Man United were a a winning machine at that point, and they've took their eye off the ball so much now that they're not so much of a winning machine anymore, and they've been overtaken by forward thinking clubs like Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, and PSG have came to life in that period. PSG were only taking over in 2009, 10 or something like that, mm. wasn't it? You know, when the Glazers bought Man U in 2000, and, was it five? Six. Or Six. Yeah. Well, you know, PSG weren't even a thing. PSG were, were a middling club in France with no money and barely two pennies to r- rub together or whatever, or francs, whatever it was back then. Um, so that is that is their... their Issue, you know, they will they will always have the price, but very very few can match it. Um, but if somebody somebody has the money, then they'll they'll sell. But you know, proving that is is mental. No doubt, Niall, that if Manchester United do begin to be linked with a Dubai takeover, we're going to get loads of discussions around fitting proper tests for owners yep. again. Miguel Delaney's uh, heart rate has just gone, yeah. <laughs> gone through the roof. All those Manchester United fans who were criticising the blood money that bought Newcastle just yeah. a few months ago are going to change their tune pretty rapidly. Yeah. Do you think we're ever going to see any changes in this scenario? Or do you think that, like you say, the only people who can buy football clubs now are countries. Mm-hmm. And the countries who have the money are the ones who have... And Dubai 
probably, I mean, if you get to rank them, it's difficult or impossible to compare apples and oranges, but <laughs> Dubai is maybe slightly more palatable than Saudi Arabia. They've still got issues with modern day slavery. They've still got issues with freedom of the press, but I don't know. <laughs> There's also kind of elements to change that and make themselves more westernised, I guess, if that is the right thing to do. So are we going to see more discussions and are we ever going to see a resolution to the idea that less desirable people are getting involved in football? Floodgates are open, Jim. <laughs> They're well and truly open. Abramovich booted them down 20 years ago. Yeah. He? You know, well, I mean, the discussions will continue. They should continue. But we're in a position now where, as you've said, Abu Dhabi owns Manchester City. The Saudi Arabians, albeit indirectly, own Newcastle United. Um, Marley's already mentioned Roman Abramovich. We're getting to the point now where these are the only sorts of groups that can own football clubs in this country, which is sad. If you look at the German model, that 50 plus one model, they're almost protected against that. Yeah. They're protected against that. And although there are flaws with this 50 plus one model, which isn't fan ownership, people say that it is, it isn't explicitly fan ownership. There are certainly plenty of frameworks around fan ownership when it comes to the German football model, but it basically protects their clubs from having to deal with issues like this. And there naturally will be issues. What I think is important to stress, particularly with the Middle Eastern nations, is that as the world changes and there's a big drive for the world to be greener and look after the planet and, you know, control emissions and things like that, the resources that you find in the Middle East, the natural resources of oil and gas, the Saudi Arabia, the, the UAE and the other Emirati countries and Arab countries have, though those resources are limited because as they're based off of fossil fuels, the, the natural um, sort of succession plan to that would be a, a change in the in the market, a change in the industry, and in the next, I don't know whether it's a hundred years, two hundred years, whether we're still talking about it in ten years, I don't know. But fossil fuels are being phased out, and a lot of nations are starting to use green energy, and naturally that means that you know these countries will need to invest in other things. Yeah, and that's why you've and seen the Saudis invest that, in sports portfolios. And when that happens. You know, when the resources dry up, do they sell the football clubs after a while? Because they've cost a lot of money. But yeah. where does it end, you know? It's, like, it's, they're extending their portfolio, aren't they? It's what yeah. they're doing. They're, they're, they're buying into a succession plan, a contingency plan yeah. for when it's oil and gas. Yeah, when yeah. oil and gas. I mean, we, we don't normally talk about geopolitics on Football Social Daily, but I do think that that is... <laughs> I think the first time the word fossil fuels have ever been... Uh, <laughs> I've called a few people fossils over the years, but not, uh, not fossil fuels. But I mean, it's, it's true though, isn't it? I mean, that that is why you're seeing these these businesses be bought. I mean, there's a lot of American investment and ownership in English football now because they see it as an opportunity because, you know, the amount of money in the English game, the amount of money in the Premier League is insane. Yeah. You know, and the amount of profit there is to be made um, is crazy. Um, mm. I think we're getting so high up the food chain now to the point where who has got 4 billion or 3.75 billion to spend on a football club? Just Who? Yeah. Who's got it? You know, you're talking about people talk like about Elon con- Musk. You're talking about people like Jeff Bezos. You're talking about people like Saudi Arabians mm. Mm. and the, the the guys from Abu Dhabi. You're talking about these sorts of people because the pool, the pond of who can afford a football club at that level now in the Premier League is shrinking and evaporating every single year. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And really, it's only a small circle of people that can afford these clubs. Yeah. And... um 
you know, that's going to continue. The more money that there is in the Premier League, the longer that will continue. Yeah. You know, it's like the house price market in the UK at the moment. It's rising year on year. There are so many other problems in the UK financially that leads me to believe the house market will crash. And I've been thinking this for the last five years and it hasn't. It keeps right. going up, but it will. And it's like the same in the Premier League. We're getting to a point now where we're reaching the top of this mountain and eventually, you know, you're going to fall off the top. There's no lot of separation though, isn't it? Because it's not every club. You look at a club like West Ham, for example, and the valuation that was put on them, was it last year there were takeover talks, was around 700 million. Yeah. Which is a distinct difference. But, but then Portsmouth got... was bought for 7 million quid. And I know we're not as big a club as West Ham, nowhere near. But, you but know, the type of owners that are coming in and buying those clubs, they've got different reserves as well. So the clubs that have got this backing, this financial backing, the likes of Dubai, who have got four billion, they yeah. can afford to put another billion pound into well, the personnel. I get that, but it's just like the disparity, isn't it? Twice as twice as much as Newcastle. That's what I mean. To be a fourth, like, um, no disrespect to, to West Ham, but at best they're the fourth best team in London. It's How, about where do you get seven hundred million from? Is it London? I mean, that's Tasks? what I mean. It's location and stadium, isn't but it? But I don't get this. Like, like I say, Portsmouth was bought for seven million, which I think is an absolute steal because you know you're looking at players. I mean, that's you can get. However, my mass is rubbish. How many Morgan Gibbs Whites can you get? For, for, <laughs> you know, for that. That's you four, know, that's it? ridiculous. How can one player be worth four times a whole football club yeah. with 125 years of history and two FA Cups and league titles and stuff? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about the money and whether it trickles down the pyramid. It doesn't. I just mm. think that the Premier League, with the way it's going, it is isolating itself. And, you know, we've been talking about this for years and I'm a little bit sort of disillusioned with it now. I mean, I, I yeah. did used to get quite angry about it on the podcast. Now it's just like, well, what can you do? Mm. No one learns it. any lessons. The price to pay of being the best, the best league in the world is the fact that you've total, you've totally lost your financials. Like you, you've totally lost control because you've opened the floodgates, and and that's what it is. Which we, is we why can't, we can't go back. We can't now no. adopt a German no. policy because you're you're going up to Saudi Arabia. And um, the the Arabs at, at Man City and the Americans at Man United going. By the way, you've got to give us forty nine percent of your company. They're just mm. going to go. No, no chance. Get yeah. lost. We paid for yeah. it. Well, and, 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 and asking which price is why we see the it. Super League and ideas yeah, like exactly. that come through exactly, yeah. because they need they need another another road to go down. We're coming to a dead end. We're coming to the, a cul de sac, and there needs to be another avenue to go down. And that's why we'll see the Super League and other ideas like that pop up. It's yeah. not dead. Trust me, you'll see that come back. Yeah. Yeah. Gone deep on today's Football Social Daily. We all need a little bit of a lie down, so hopefully you can have a lie down too. Come back in a few hours, we'll have Football Social Daily shots for you, wrapping up the day's news in under 10 minutes to keep you fully across everything that's going on in the Premier League. Bonus points if you heard Marley smashing his knee on the table halfway through the <laughs> podcast. That was something that everyone enjoyed, and have a good one. We'll see you soon on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.